When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi riding solo today. No Taylor Dammel. Taylor actually, I believe, was golfing with some NFL owners. I'm not kidding. He was texting me that he he was presented the opportunity to go golf in Arizona, obviously, site of the Super Bowl, with some NFL owners. I need to catch up with him. I need to see if that actually occurred because that would be an incredible story. And let's not forget, Taylor himself also a part owner of the Packers, which I don't know exactly the percentage, but I'm sure it's very small. But no TD today. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device you use. Your college hooper of the day, I'm going to go with Justin Holiday. Yeah, Justin Holiday, former Husky. The lanky one, he's in the NBA right now, but Justin Holiday was a really, really solid solid player for the Huskies, and it's going to be a very Pacific Northwest-themed episode upcoming. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feed is, and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains! We got a great episode for you. The week of the interviews rolls on. We got Eli Betker joining us today, founder of uh, HeatCheckCBB.com. He is a U.S. Basketball Writers Association member. He's a lot of fun, very intelligent, cerebral, uh, Pacific Northwest guy, loves coffee, which, which you will hear about. But we've just been super lucky this week to get Dallin Cuff earlier in the week and now Eli for this episode. And it was just a lot of fun chatting it up with him, talking about the college basketball landscape. We talked a little bit about Mike Hopkins, the Seattle food scene, talked a little LeBron, who, by the way, if you don't, if you live under a rock, is the greatest scorer in NBA history. So we will get to that interview with Eli Becker here in a little bit, but let me first and foremost talk shop about some of 
what took place here earlier this week on Tuesday, UConn destroying Marquette at home. I still think UConn is a top five team when their A game is there. I've seen evidence of UConn being great. They've beaten Iowa State. They've beaten Alabama. Alabama, think about that. Albeit earlier in the year, but they've they've got those wins under their belt. The issue is bringing your A game for UConn and playing a full 40 because they played their A game in the first half against Seton Hall, but didn't do it for a full 40 minutes. When it's there, they are a top five team and they completely dispatched a red hot top 10 Marquette Golden Eagles team. So moving forward for UConn, I could actually see them getting on a bit of a red hot streak going into March. And it's going to tell us a ton. These next three games are going to tell us a ton about the Huskies. They travel to Creighton. Creighton got a great win on the road against Seton Hall. I had a bad tweet. I said Seton Hall was going to win that game. Did not come to fruition. Whoopsie daisy. Like Bill the Butcher when he says, whoopsie daisy. Yeah, I was wrong. Seton Hall, they lost to to Creighton. UConn is going to travel to Creighton. That's going to be a good game. But I think the Jays are going to edge the Huskies there. Then they're home against Seton Hall. They'll win that game. Then they're home against Providence. I'm leaning UConn here. Revenge factor. I think they can take down the Friars. But if they pull off that win in Omaha and then win at home against Seton Hall and Providence, oh boy, watch out for the Huskies. Watch out for Hurley because they could very well return to that top five form. Another game that we need to touch on, Indiana. Indiana defeats Rutgers, who's just a scrappy team. But and the, uh, Rutgers is probably going to be in the tournament, but how deep can they really go? I don't know if they're a second weekend type of team. But Indiana somehow survives eight minutes without a field goal against the Scarlet Knights. It's a little troubling that Rutgers couldn't really take advantage of those of that eight-minute drought. I mean, it was approaching eight minutes, and Indiana was still somehow up five. I don't know how that works. Rutgers might have been even worse, and or Indiana might have just continued to hit free throws during those possessions. But a little worrisome that the Scarlet Knights couldn't at least tie the game or take the lead during an eight-minute stretch. That's damn near half a half right? That's a quarter of a game without scoring a field goal. You figure Rutgers could could take advantage of that, but Indiana survives. Virginia, they handle NC State. It's them versus Miami. We talk about this a little bit with Eli, but the ACC is coming down to them, them being Virginia and Miami. I was trying to ride and rock with the Clemson Tigers, but too many mishaps and they just don't look that strong. By the way, Clemson South Carolina in general, the state of South Carolina, so much optimism with Clemson and Charleston. I don't know if they're guarantees for the tournament. You may have to turn it back on if if you're both of those teams. But uh, Virginia handling NC State, a good NC State team. They're they're pretty firmly in the tournament. We'll see how, how they do. But I'm excited for the finish of the ACC between Virginia and Miami. Kansas State, they dismantle TCU. Uh, Good for K-State, handling business. They hit a little bit of a rough patch the last week or so, but they bounce back and they do what they're supposed to do. So many times we see with these upstart teams, they lose gas and they fade a little bit as we enter this March to, or excuse me, this this mid-February to March type of push. We see those teams lose gas. Not Kansas State. They destroy TCU. And again, I've said it ad nauseum. They had they had Eddie Lampkin, but 
how how close to 100% is he? Is he even 100%? And no Mike Miles. TCU just doesn't have the venom. They don't have the 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 danger associated with them. They're not the hypnotodes, man, without Mike Miles and without Eddie Lampkin. Uh, they're just regular ugly bullfrogs, really. So we'll see if TCU can get back healthy. North Carolina, bit troubling. Three straight losses. They get destroyed by Wake. We And I don't know. I think they got to really pick it up here. Them in Kentucky, because Kentucky lost to Arkansas, which was a bit troubling. Arkansas is another team that's just battled crazy amount of injuries. And you figure Kentucky at home, they turn the corner by playing competitively at Kansas, had a great win streak after the, the beating Tennessee. But losing to Arkansas, it's kind of like they reverted back into a pumpkin. And so I'm not, I, I still think Kansas and, excuse me, Kentucky and our, uh, Carolina are in the tournament, but I'm feeling less confident than I was a week ago. And then we got to do something. If we're staying in the ACC, we got to do something about Louisville. We got to do something about their season. Can a grown adult step in and spot the Cardinals a 13 point lead to start the game? Or can we just play with a running clock? Or can we cancel the rest of the season? Do something, please, I am begging you, because it wasn't even competitive for maybe five minutes for the Cardinals against Pitt, and it's been the story of the entire season. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, obviously, but this is for real. I feel terrible for the kids. I feel terrible for an L. Ellis. They're, they're, they're just walking into buzzsaws every single game with no chance, no hope of winning the game. It's got to be a terrible feeling. And as a, as a cornerstone type of program in college basketball, I got to see Louisville rebound quick sooner rather than later, but please something, something needs to be done for the Cardinals. Next game, Texas A&M making a little bit of noise, only two losses in the sec. The only issue is that they're out of conference. is just not that good. It's a little stinky. I'm sure it's as stinky as a buzz Williams shirt after a, uh, after a game where he pours like nine pounds of sweat into it. Um, I don't know if they're safely in the field. I still think they got a little bit more work to do, but A&M on a hot streak. And then I think Bruce Pearl was getting into it with a, Tamu fan fan apparently yelled that or no, I think Pearl may have yelled at the fan that he'd kick their ass. Not quite sure, but Auburn uh, needs to regroup here a little bit as well. And then we talk a little bit about it. Nevada beating New Mexico. We've, we've harped on Steve Alford and the praise that he should be getting. He's doing done a wonderful job with the Wolfpack after losing a good deal of talent in Grant Sherfield. Uh, Devin Cambridge, I believe, at at ASU. But Nevada going out and beating New Mexico. So good little recap. I didn't think the slate on Wednesday was all that great. And like I said, I'm not cowering from it. I'm not I'm not running from it. But Creighton beating St. Uh, Seton Hall, even though I thought the Hall was going to win that game. Apologies. I'm sorry. I got I got someone tweeting at me saying good take sarcastically, of course. Look, I'll own up to it. I'll own up to it. So uh, that was the Tuesday slate, though. I'm glad we went through that. Let's stop delaying. Let's get now to our interview with Eli Becker. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but actually, I am going to delay you just for another, uh, let's say, 
35 seconds. Sorry. Hey, everyone. It's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports, SeatGeek. Yeah, live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena is a priceless experience. That's why our friends at SeatGeek are there to help you find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you get tickets to sporting events, but you can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Search for your desired event now at SeatGeek.com. Enter promo code BellyUpSports at checkout, and you save 20 bucks off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. All right, we now welcome to the program the founder of HeatCheckCVB.com and member of the U.S. Basketball Writers Association. We got Eli Betger in the building joining us. Eli, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on and heard great things about the show, so I'm happy to be on next. But hey, you didn't you didn't let me know that Dallin was going to be on before me. So this is like, man, I got to buckle up now. I know Dallin's a sharp guy and he does a lot of great stuff. So I'll be I'll be ready for this one. Oh, look, there's zero <laughs> pressure whatsoever. Uh, I, I would actually say I don't know who we had after frank martin but i think that person probably felt the most pressure because <laughs> that's that's a big that's a powerhouse too i mean and, and that probably sounds like a humble brag but i'm being dead serious <laughs> we were so happy to have frank on and the content that guy gives you is something else absolutely yeah he's yeah he's a good one too so eli what i want to do is start off this episode with a colleague of ours, a mutual friend of ours, Riley Davis, who was kind enough to throw your your name out there to me to bring you on to theater and college hoops. And I want to play the exact audio uh, and then get your thoughts. So buckle up here. Okay, sounds good. For sure. I already know the guy. I mentioned him already. It's Eli Betger, our uh, site founder for Heat Check CBB. Uh, Eli is a Pacific Northwest guy, a University of Washington grad, loves pour over coffee, uh, man has elite coffee taste, but uh, he is an incredible group chat ad, always brings humor, like incredible with one-liners that come out of nowhere, uh, very witty and sarcastic, also just an insightful hoops guy, and he's, you know, he does a lot of editing for us at Heat Check, but he's also a terrific writer, uh, really, anytime he writes something, it's going to be quality, so uh, I would love to hear Eli on this show and hear a little bit more of his story. I appreciate that, Riley. Man, I got Greg, a Big Ten guy. I got you, an ACC guy. Give me the Pac-12 guys. Oh, yeah. He'll give he'll me, he'll you give me some Pac-12 love. He'll give you some whack stuff. Oh, he pissed off Cal Baptist. So that that's the one that – because he – like, some of these man bases, man, he picked them like ninth in the whack for the Almanac and got a bunch of pushback for it, and they're tenth in the whack right now. So, like – Who's the dude always, for Cal, Cal Baptist? He's nasty. Taron Taron Armstrong. Taron Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, but I think the problem is he's their only good player. So, yeah. yeah, Eli always he'll always send us tweets that we we will go back and like if people like criticizing him for picking them nine. So yeah, you got to get Eli on the show. That's a lot to unpack oh, right man. there, Eli. Tell us your reaction. <laughs> oh man, well first off, Riley's an awesome guy, and uh, uh, I got to know him a little bit more over the past uh, past couple years. And with everyone who's joined our website, uh, I've. I told them when when I reached out to them, like, hey, you do great work. You're an awesome person. I want you to come join me and come write with me. And and uh, all of them have been, uh, everyone on our website has just been awesome about doing the things that they like to do. And there's there's no internal tension. It's none of that. It's just guys who enjoy 
just enjoy college basketball and things like that. But I think I think his assessment is is pretty spot on. Um, I am I think over time I've realized through and through that I am definitely a Pacific Northwest kind of guy. I love my coffee. Like if I'm ever visiting a new place, I got to find a coffee shop. Got to got to go to the record store. Like those types of things. Um, but yeah, it's. It's uh, it's fun being a, a prideful this kind of neck of the woods, especially in the college basketball space. And I think something that we'll probably touch on throughout the show is I feel like the Seattle area in the Pacific Northwest doesn't get as much credit as it deserves in uh, in college hoops. And so I've I've always kind of kind of worn that on my sleeve a little bit. Um, but I know I appreciate that that breakdown from Riley. He's a, he's an awesome dude and cannot recommend his work and, and him as a person and anymore. Yeah, there's there's a few things I want to unpack from that. First and foremost, we align on the Pacific Northwest, probably not getting as much due as they should be. We actually, again, this is, I promise I'm not trying to humble brag, but we had Landon Lucas on over the, right after Kansas won the title. And he's a Portland, Oregon guy, so maybe not Seattle, but that's PNW. <laughs> and just the names that come out of Tacoma, Seattle, right? Your Avery Bradleys, your ITs, Paolo, I mean, it's, it, it really is so deep. And then going even further back, uh, Jamal Crawford, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Zach Levine as well. DeJounte Murray, all these guys coming from that, from the neck of the woods. So I don't know, there's always, and you probably know this too, just being a PAC 12 guy yourself. Like there has always seemed to be kind of a stigma about West coast basketball, about maybe, you know, California guys are soft. There, you know, some California players went to Duke, didn't quite pan out the way that they expected. And, same with Seattle. Like, are, are they really that passionate about basketball? Do that many great products come from there? So, I mean, I I kind of understand that maybe the culture of college sports is different if you go to the southeast or you go to the Midwest because it is. Like, I'm not I'm not oblivious to that, but there is so much good talent and the people who love college sports and college basketball around here they they really do. And so it's awesome to connect with the people who do and just enjoy that because. I lived out in Charlotte for for six months when I was doing an internship out there with Sporting News, and you could hop in an Uber and you could talk Duke or UNC basketball to anybody, but you can't you can't talk Gonzaga basketball here with a stranger. It's just it doesn't really work that way. So uh, it's it's different parts of the country and different things like that. But I'll always kind of have that on my sleeve. Is you know you gotta gotta support your own and your local. So I'll always do that. Stigma is a great term and it's like an uphill battle as an Arizona guy I feel like I'm facing an uphill battle on ice because not only do you have that west coast reputation you got a bunch of international players so there is that kind of xenophobic uh <laughs> uh angle that that you got to deal with as well in terms of are these guys just soft but I hear you on that hey uh Eli I, I want to double back though to what Riley said what exactly did you say to piss off the Cal Baptist faction well, so this is this is an interesting one. So I I'm a mid-major underdog guy at heart. I don't take any pride in putting down teams and I don't even I I feel like I've gen, generally been on the positive end. Like my coverage in in general is positive. I try to always lean that way. I don't really have it in me to do it otherwise. Um I was doing the Almanac with Field of 68. We partnered with them this uh, this past summer and produced that magazine. I did the Mountain West, which I've covered for tremendous yeah. work, by the way. Thank you, I appreciate tremendous. it. Tremendous. It, yeah, it was a lot of fun to put together and speaking with all these coaches and gathering a lot of insight. Um, I did the Mountain West and the WAC uh, conference previews, and with the WAC, uh, this 
league was a gauntlet last year uh, it was, and they shaved off, what was it, Lamar and Chicago State and just got even more difficult with Southern Utah joining the fold and Utah Arlington. It's just, it's a gauntlet of the league. And you could make a case for any of the first, at least in the preseason, the first six, seven teams to reasonably win the title. And WAC fan bases are, they're like, they're, they're a rowdy bunch. Like New Mexico State fans, they love their basketball. Grand Canyon, arguably one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball. With, uh, with California Baptist, I think it's interesting with them because they're one of these new D1 teams. We've seen a lot of the new D1 teams who have immediately gained traction. I think Abilene Christian, who's also in the league, is a really good example of that. They've, They've already won an NCAA tournament game. This hasn't been their year, and that's okay. But um, see a lot of these schools who have done an awesome job. Bellarmine's another example. Mary Max another example. With uh, with California Baptist, I think with them, it's it's interesting because I they finished I want to say ninth in the conference last year. Uh, they pretty much took care of business against everyone they should have, and they struggled against the top teams in the league: Abilene, Stephen F. Austin, Grand Canyon, Mexico State, all those. And they lost their best rim protector, Dan Akin, to Utah State. Uh, and a lot of these transfers, I I didn't know if I necessarily bought into them as much. And there are a lot of people who who see the the kind of the per game stats, they see points per game, they see like kind of these lofty stats. And um, I think it just kind of leads people to believe that the team is all that different. I didn't, I didn't see it. I saw it a different way. And um, I knew that it was going to slightly against the grain. It's not because I have anything against Rick Croy. I think he's an awesome coach. He's done a great job with the program. Um, but it's, it's an uphill climb in this league. And a lot of these teams, they, they high turnover defense. They got a lot of size. It is not an easy, it's not an easy league to try to climb whatsoever. And Cal Baptist plays and they've done it to a, to a good level. They've played a particular style that is, kind of uh, perimeter-oriented, assist-oriented. They're a little bit more of a finesse team than the other teams in their league. And I didn't I didn't see it that way. And I got some, some backlash for picking them ninth. And I think uh, uh, some people, some fans, and maybe they're – I don't know if any of their assistants or any of their uh, people within the coaching staff thought that I slighted them. I, I try to put a positive spin on things and just say, that, hey, this, this league's tough. They could finish anywhere from top three to, to ninth. And it just so happened, and that's kind of where I, I slotted them. So – it's. I, I don't have anything personal against uh, California Baptists. I, I hope that they continue to succeed. It's a tough league, and and sometimes it's it's a it's a challenge just to climb those ranks. But man, it's it's uh it's tough in the whack. I can tell you that much. Look, I, I credit you for having thick skin, and I think it was in True Detective where Matthew McConaughey says time is a flat circle. Okay, so we got Riley Davis talking about how you ruffled some feathers with. Cal Baptist the other day, the Arizona hyenas came for him after he didn't, didn't right. list Azulas to Velas. And I actually texted him. I was like, look, man, I can't help you. I can't save you, but I'll try and apologize on behalf. <laughs> but man, you've ruffled some feathers. It's, it's like that in the sport when there's so many teams and players and coaches and stuff and everybody, everybody just wants their slice of the pie. Like everybody wants the credit that they feel like they rightly deserve. And, whether you are Arizona, whether you're California Baptist, whoever else, like you, you want that credit because it can be hard to come by when there's so many teams. Not everybody gets a whole lot of publicity. So it's, I, I try to accurately project the league as best as I possibly could while shining the light on the players I thought deserved the light. And uh, I, I, as Riley said in that clip, I think they're ninth or 10th in the WAC standings right now. Like it's, I don't, I, what can I do besides just kind of shrug my shoulders? So. 
I'm sure it's been a little quiet now that we're a few months <laughs> months into the season. But hey, Eli, why don't we dive into uh, your personal journey? Because I think it's very important that we prop that up. And, and I want our audience to know how you exactly not only got into the media space and founded such a terrific website, but I want to know personally, was there a moment in your youth or anything that drew you to college basketball. I think especially in college basketball, there's March madness moments where kids and I can point to a few of them where I'm like, man, that Isaiah Thomas shot or man, that Ollie Farrokhman has shot. That's pretty recent, but was there anything that you can pinpoint that drew you to the sport? You know, I think just growing up with my dad and my, my dad's side of the family is uh, pretty much all Purdue grads. And so I grew up and I'm still a huge Purdue fan myself. And that's the team that I grew up watching. And I can remember as long as I've been alive, my dad's had Purdue basketball games on. And that's just kind of the thing that he always gravitated to. And uh, it's it's funny, just a quick a quick side note here is I think my my dad likes to likes to rehash the story of when I think it was the first the first March after he and my mom got married and you're still figuring out the the newly wedded life and things like that and my mom just couldn't seem to figure out why my dad was just planted in front of the TV all of March and like she she didn't know what March Madness was she didn't grow up with sports or anything like that and eventually it, it just grew to something that they joked about and how March has become kind of his month and the thing that he enjoys doing is watching the tournament and so Sure enough, I come along and um, I I enjoyed playing basketball growing up, and I think that was still it was still when the Seattle Sonics were here, and so I I like watching Ray Allen or Shard Lewis and those guys, and that was kind of the players who I grew up watching. And then they left. I think it's what 2008, I think, and I I still like basketball. I still like watching it, but there wasn't really besides the TNT ESPN games. I I wasn't really attached to the big name teams and in, in the NBA and things like that. So pretty naturally that's when I transitioned into following college basketball. And I knew, I already knew quite a bit about Purdue and I knew a little bit about uh, university of Washington where, where I went to school and, and all that. But I just got so attached to March madness just, just so quickly. And that was a thing I still remember my dad would come home from work and he'd have a stack of brackets that, that he'd have printed off and, you know, we would just just tear through those and make a bunch of brackets and just enjoy following along. And I'd I'd take school off that Thursday and Friday, no matter what grade I was in. So, and and he'd be like, "It's okay, you can call in sick, and we'll we'll just watch the games together." So that's how I grew to like it. But I think the the writing aspect, the media aspect, um, I, I always loved math and I loved numbers, and I wasn't really ever a great writer and I still I was nice of writer to say I still I feel like I'm just kind of a by the book sort of here's here's the thing you need to know not necessarily a storytelling type of writer um but I always just I, I like looking at baseball cards I liked looking at stats and I love playing franchise modes and video games and understanding how uh how salary cap works and all those types of things like while other people were out my age, maybe going to parties or hanging out with other people, I would, I would just be writing down in, in notebooks and writing down stats and trying to learn all these different types of things. And um, I, that's that's kind of how I, I grew into that. And so the more that I just read from other writers, the Gary Parishes of the world, the Mike Discorsis of the world, all these types of guys, I think I kind of started to understand more about just – 
sentence structure, just about how to convey your thoughts accurately, how to you know, make writing and make copy that's uh, that's free of any grammatical errors, things like that. And that's just kind of over time. Once I was out of high school, I was like, I want I want something to do on the side. I want a hobby that isn't playing GameCube or just isn't, you know, listening to music. I want to do something kind of creative because I feel like I had lost that throughout my time in middle school and high school. And so that's when I just started blogging and I uh, joined SB Nation to cover the Mountain West, which at the time wasn't a league that I knew a whole lot about. I knew about New Mexico and San Diego State and that was about it. And I just kind of took it upon myself to learn more and more. And that's when it just kind of took off from there. I knew a little bit about basketball. I knew a little bit about stats. I knew a little bit about writing and just it's it's been fun to kind of grow this whole thing over time to to where it is now and by no means is have we made it necessarily or anything like that. It's not, you know, not the full-time job or anything like that, but it's uh it's been a heck of a lot of fun. I wouldn't wouldn't trade any of that for the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's beautiful, honestly, that that recap. And I, I, I say that seriously because when I asked that question, I had referenced a specific play or a game, but what I got out of that was it was more of a father son relationship yeah. and, and, and a family thing, the stack of brackets that you just so vividly painted a picture. That's amazing. Um, and then also right. Parlaying this hobby of yours into something a little bit more full-time and structured. I think that's great. And pursuing uh, more knowledge, right. Mimicking a Gary Parish decorsey like you had mentioned, uh, I will say, Eli, you may have outdated yourself or dated yourself with the GameCube reference. Just, just <laughs> let you know. Yeah, I still play it today. That's my, that's my jam. I stay true to it. <laughs> I respect it. If it still fires up, man, good, good for you. I, I, I do want to ask though, if we take it a, a few steps further, he checks CVB. So how did, at what point, tell us the process of saying, Let's legitimize this thing. Let's launch this website. Take us through the ins and outs of that. Maybe the trials and tribulations that that you uh, worked through to get to the point that you're at right now. Yeah, I mean, there still are plenty of trials and t- tribulations. I don't think that will ever stop at any point. But I think that I I worked at Sporting News uh, out in Charlotte and really enjoyed my time there. And that was my first experience of what it's like to work with the news desk, what it's like to work in that office setting for a very legitimate, long-running sports company. I think the longest one in North America at that. Um, and, uh, and so that was a really cool experience. And that there were things that I have always kind of wanted to do differently than what everybody else was doing. And I, I, I love, I still love reading ESPN, CBS Sports, whoever whoever produces college basketball content because I don't think we can ever get enough of it. But I, I'd i always felt that I'd like to do things a little differently. Or maybe there are things that I noticed of maybe, you know, why why isn't anybody talking about this team? Or why doesn't anybody write about this particular player? And uh, I think just over time, especially during my time with Sporting News, I, I really – I didn't know anybody out in Charlotte. I've been in the Seattle area all my life. So there's a lot of time of just kind of solitude and thinking about what do you want to do? What do you want to build over time as, as life goes along? And I'd always wanted to start my own website and just give that a spin and see what that was like. And so when I returned to the Seattle area, this was just weeks before the pandemic started. And um, that was before any of us really knew that what the gravity of that was going to look like. And I'd started up the website when it was, it was just me. 
and I had big plans of what my tournament coverage was going to look like and what I was going to do while looking for a job in the marketing space at that time. And I just wanted to attack that and do the very best I could with it with the knowledge that I learned from being in sporting news and being in school. And once the pandemic hit and there was nothing to write about, I was thinking, okay, now what? Now we need to kind of pivot a little bit and think about how do we do these things a little bit differently? And so that's when I started to build the staff of, of what it is today. And I have incredible writers who have been nothing but supportive and, and great friends and have produced amazing content over the years. And I think we just, we understand each other so well and we know what it is that we like to produce and things that maybe we don't want to do and things that we do want to do. And uh, it's just, it's just kind of grown, but I feel like I've always had a little bit of that entrepreneurial sort of mindset to a certain extent. I've always kind of looked up to people who go out and create and do things on their own. That was always inspired to inspired me. And I feel like if there was ever going to be something that I would do from an entrepreneurial mindset, it would be creating my own college basketball platform. And I thought, what better time to do that than when we're all stuck inside? We got nothing else to do. Why don't I just give this a shot and see what happens with it? And just, we've kept it going ever since. And they took the damn tournament from us. <laughs> they did. They oh, did. I, I saw the classic. <laughs> well, our, our, our former co-host who, who's not able to continue doing the show, but he was adamant that Miles Powell and Seton Hall were going to win the national title that year. And I mean, it really was such a gut punch because you start hearing about how conference tournaments may get canceled. They do get canceled. Then you're like, uh, all right, I guess I can deal with that, but just don't take the big, the big guy. And they took the NCAA tournament and I was like, golly, yeah. but uh, yeah, no, that that's, that's an amazing journey though. An amazing journey really. And I'm glad you were able to dive into some detail regarding that Eli, but what I want to do now pivot a little bit to the current college basketball landscape. And within that, it may not be a huge note on the national scale, but since we do have a PAC 12, more specifically Washington Husky guy, can you tell us a little bit about the tenor or the scuttlebutt, I guess, in the Pacific Northwest regarding Mike Hopkins? It's, yeah, it, I think you pretty accurately <laughs> portrayed that one there. It's just, you know, I, prior to this past baseball season, I don't know how well or how much you cover Major League Baseball, but I'm a diehard Seattle Mariners fan. That's that's my team. And Great uh, season. Yeah. You, you made the postseason, it, man. It is, and that's why, and that's why the comparison isn't so great anymore, but it's – it's almost like these two teams are parallels because every single time that you wanted to get your hopes up when something good happened, it would, the, the hope would just be immediately dashed. And it, it has felt that way for, I want to say about a decade now with, with Washington basketball is that when you do get your hopes up, when a five-star lands with the program, it's, it, it falls apart. When you put together an NIT year with four starters returning, something goes, something goes wrong. It's just, it, so many times it's felt like this is going to be the time that UW turns a corner and it just hasn't been that way. And even this season, I, I did not expect that Washington will come out of, uh, I guess it was a wooden legacy. Yeah. Wooden legacy. Uh, I believe it was uh, when they beat St. Mary's. And I thought that was an awesome win. And it felt like tides were kind of changing a little bit. And then immediately within a week, it's followed up with a road loss to Oregon state. It's just, 
it's just it's just been that kind of thing, and and I'm sure you watched the game with uh, with Arizona when UW led by I think as many as 13 or 14 points, and the lead just evaporates. There's an inbound play at the end where you need a three, and I don't even think a three was attempted. It's just it's just been so disorganized, and I I don't know. I I I'm I'm not one to, and I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier as far as kind of my my positive lens on things. I'm I've never been one to take pride or even want to comment on people's job securities and things like that. It's, it's, it's not really any of my business anyways, but I do think that there was so much momentum following Hopkins's second year when they won 27 games. They won the first round NCAA tournament game against a really good Utah state team had a great class coming in the following year and it just collapsed in the 2020 season. And uh, I think a lot of people forget they beat Baylor the first game of the 1920 year. It started off what 10 and two or something. And uh, it's, it's just the, the the momentum just stalls and it's just, it's felt that way. So where do you go really? It's, it's just kind of, it's just kind of the situation with UW right now. And I don't, I, I, I think it's just almost a level of acceptance with this program at this point is that every time you kind of get your hopes up, things, things are going to go awry. Yeah. Every you talk about the, the games this year, Keon Brooks, he's a, he's a wonderful player. And I did forget that they beat Baylor to, <laughs> to start that season. And you look at it, Mike Hopkins, actually from a resume perspective, he is, he's got two PAC 12 coaches of the year. He <laughs> will forget that. Yeah. I, I, I and it, it's it's a little surprising to me, but you're right. And and I want Washington to be good, right? Because I think there are two mainstays in the Pac-12, and then Oregon's on some down years, but they're the they're, they're just a few years removed from a Final Four. And then I think the biggest conundrum that I've had, and this is as someone who probably doesn't follow Washington as much as you or anyone in the Pacific Northwest is, and you alluded to it a bit all of that talent doesn't necessarily sync up with maybe the March success uh, in, a, in a Markel Fultz or a DeJounte Murray, even a Keon Brooks, uh, just some names that, that populate. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious, I was curious to know your, your, the, what the pulse was, I guess, on the program. Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of nailed it there. It's when, when the talent level has been at its peak, the, the team has almost been at its peak of disarray. It's like it is a lack of identity almost. And I think that's even somewhat of the case this year because I still think that there is kind of a lack of identity. It's just it's not a team that is that has seemed cohesive for, for several years. I thought the season where they reached the NCAA tournament, there was experience, there was leadership. It, it just it felt like an entirely different energy. They wouldn't they wouldn't go on these lengthy scoring droughts like they have in in recent years but the the season with Markel Fultz that's another great example it seems like the very best talents that the Washington program has had the last decade are not the ones who have played in the biggest games and it's 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 just a it's a really weird conundrum and I don't really know if it's a matter of the the coaching staff just finding some of the most talented guys and expecting them to kind of create on their own and, and being able to improvise on the fly. And that has worked to a lot of other coaches' credits, uh, but it just it hasn't been the recipe for success for this program uh, in recent years at all. 
Fingers crossed for a bounce back. Let's pivot now, Eli. We only got one game left in the NFL, so I'm going to try and intertwine PAT. Everyone knows PAT's point after touchdown, but in college basketball, that acronym acronym now stands for Purdue, Arizona, Tennessee. So the reason (laughs) I'm bringing these three up, Eli, is because year in and year out, we see phenomenal regular seasons from these teams. And then once March comes, Somehow Zach Eady and Purdue lose to St. Peter's and Arizona loses to Buffalo with DeAndre Ayton and Tennessee loses to Michigan when Michigan probably shouldn't have even gotten in the tournament of these three teams. What's the best way I can put this of these three teams? Do you, what's the combination of those three getting into the final four? What, what of those three teams are going to suffer heartbreak again? Is Matt Painter, Rick Barnes, Rick Barnes has a final four, but is he going to break through again? Is Matt Painter going to break through for the final or for the first time? Give me your synopsis on these three. March. Yeah, well, I think the one that I trust the most at this point is Arizona, and it's it's not because I'm on the show with an Arizona guy, but I just oh, yeah. are you pandering? <laughs> I I just think the the level of consistency has been there, and I think that there was the 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 loss to Washington State, and that was kind of a, a head scratcher, and they've had performances that have been like that. But I think with with Arizona, when they take care of the basketball. It's going to be so difficult to stop both Tabellus and Balo in the tournament. That's that's just a matchup nightmare, and it's and it's different in the sense of how Zach Eady is a matchup nightmare because even though there are few answers that teams have had against him, I still think that you have to force other players to make plays. And to Indiana's credit, and I'm a Purdue guy, so it's hard to give Indiana a lot of credit. I'll, I'll be honest about that one, but to their credit, they they forced other players to make plays and even down the stretch it's it's two freshman guards who are starting and getting 30 minutes a game and that has really never been a recipe for success in the ncaa tournament so as good as those two are uh, i i just think that purdue has kind of the the level of unknown and what happens if zach Eady gets in foul trouble i know that he hasn't he's been great at avoiding fouls but there's always if if he has to hit the bench or, or at the under eight timeout of the first half, who's going to be that guy who steps up? So, I think that's kind of the main question with them. I think Arizona's been consistent so long as they haven't turned over the basketball. Tennessee's a team that I'm out on. I I don't I don't trust them because they have these lulls where they might meet in the second round. You're already playing a top thirty level team and. And they just go on these scoring lulls. And even beyond that, because we've, we've seen teams that have had droughts in the past, but I just I don't think that they've identified who their number one scoring option is going to be. Is it going to be Vescovy? Well, he's only like a 20 usage rate type of guy. Is it going to be Zakai Ziegler? How is he going to manufacture points against uh, 6'3", 6'4", type of guards? Is it one of the front court guys? I just – is it Tyree Key? He's the guy who's come off the bench a lot. I just – I don't know, and that kind of gives me a level of, of pause with them because I think that no matter who you are, even if it is Zach Eady, even if it is a, a front court guy like Tubelas, I think that you still need to have that bona fide number one player that when plays break down, because they are in the NCAA tournament, and some of the most iconic plays are when when these uh, when these types of plays break down. You have to have the guy that you can just give the ball to and trust that he's going to make a basket. And Purdue had that with with Jaden Ivey last year and it didn't always work out, but you still knew that the ball was going to go to him and he was going to try to get the best shot he could. So uh, it's, 
I, I think Arizona I'm buying this stock on. I think Purdue I'm kind of on a hold and I'm, I'm selling Tennessee stock. I think is where I'd go with that one. All right, Eli. So what's going to happen now is if Arizona doesn't go to the final four, I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to text you like an angry, angry, uh, we'll call it a Karen coming back to Walmart or Target saying this didn't work. You promised me and this didn't work. Right? So I'm going to need a refund if that doesn't happen. And then uh, secondly, you may have found another fan base that uh, might come clamoring for you once I publish this, the balls, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. And, and I appreciate the insight there. Hey, here's another question though for you pivoting to the mid majors who wants to win the a10 can you please give me any insight on the atlantic 10 because dayton beats vcu who i think was leading it at, and that was on the road in richmond st louis barely holds on against rhode island who's winning the a10 well it's it's the craziest conference tournament of them all they've they've had just chaos in their conference tournament for years and years and even last year when Richmond won it, I think, as a six seed. They were they were supposed to be good entering the year. They really weren't, and then you know flipped on a dime when it mattered the most. So beat Iowa then too. What's yeah, that? and then that and when everyone loved Iowa after their yeah. big tournament run, it just it never makes any sense with the Atlantic Ten. And I love this conference, and they have the most. I would have to say they have the most passionate fan bases of any given conference that you may find. They, you have people who are following Duquesne like it's life or death in February when they have nothing to play for. It's like these these people are insane. But I think to answer your question, I think it's probably one of those few teams that you mentioned. I love Dayton entering the year. I thought they were going to put on a season that could potentially rival what they were like uh, in 1920 with Obi Top. And I thought that was the year that they were going to have. I thought BCU was going to be really great as well. And, and Ace Baldwin was out for a while, but they still – defend at a really high level. And then St. Louis, who has some great individuals as well, and uh, they're an excellent passing team that can really score the basketball. But it's it's just – it's one of those leagues where, I mean, how, how likely is it that any of these teams are, is going to be able to go on the road and play whoever you want, whether it's Fordham, whether it's Loyola Chicago, who's really down this year, or any of these teams, and still come out with a victory? It seems like – no matter what, someone's getting a quad three, quad four loss every time you go out. And it's just, it's crazy, but this is probably a one-bid league. And uh, it bums me out because it's it's a fun conference. And I think it, it, the tournament's more fun when more A-10 teams are in. But it's it's just going to be a dartboard, as it always is with the A-10 tournament, I think especially this season, because you just, you just don't really know what these guys. I'm pulling my hair out, man, because <laughs> it, obviously we did preseason predictions and I took the Billikens and – Dayton just has been underwhelming. And you're like, all right, Billikens, this is it. If you just play pretty well, you're going to take control of this conference. And then they, they struggle against you. All right. It counts as a win, obviously, but they, they dropped some as well. So this, this, this conference tournament is going to be a lot of fun. Eli, when it comes to bracket predictions and actually filling out my bracket, I like to keep things close to the vest, not saying that I am some soothsayer or uh, an expert because Quite often, my wife finishes higher than I do in bracket uh, pools, and, and I finish somewhere in the middle of the pack. But I need to get your thoughts and feedback on this. I want to take Miami to the Final Four so damn bad. Are you going to talk me out of that, or do you think I'm on to something here? I, I would talk you out of it. I, I really would. I haven't been so in on this Miami team. I think that 
a lot of it just fluctuates on how well Isaiah Wong plays. And he he was lighting the world on fire for about a four or five week stretch. And he's still an excellent player. It's not to discount any of that. But when he struggles, I just I don't know about this team. I think that they kind of go through different phases and uh, they they have had some nice wins on the year, but I just think that level of consistency they kind of seem to play down in their competition a little bit. And I don't, I don't know if necessarily the final scores justify that, but it just, it just seems like a boomer bust team that if, if they're an 11 seed, like you don't want to play them because they can be that type of 11 seed that can make a run much like they did last year uh, because they have kind of the matchup nightmares and they have that bona fide number one guy, but to, to trust them, as a, as a four seed or a five seed or something like that, I, I just, they seem they could be potentially susceptible to an upset if the shots aren't falling. And that has been the case in some of their games. And uh, I, I don't know. It's I, I, I would push back a little bit on that one. Of course, uh, you're, you're free to, you're free to make the picks that you want, but I push back a little bit. No, 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 man. Don't, don't hedge now because if, if, <laughs> if I don't take them and they end up going to the final four, I'm going to be sitting in line again. <laughs> Asking you for that uh, for that explanation. No, I I think that's all fair. I don't know if they necessarily play the best defense either, which is a bit troubling. But right now, I do love this team, and and they're scorching. And they had an opportunity to beat Duke in Cameron, which I mean, Duke's good at, at home. But you know, I had picked Virginia to win the ACC preseason, and right now that it's pretty much a two horse race there in the ACC between UVA and Miami. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. And Jim Laranega, what he's that guy's awesome. I love that guy. No matter how the season pans out, um, he's just a tremendous coach. So Eli, the other day I was thinking about this as I watched St. John's just melt, melt. What a micro, what a, what a, what a perfect encapsulation of their season, that game in Indianapolis against Butler St. John's, right? So I'm thinking about them. I'm also thinking about UNLV who's having a far better season than the Johnnies. And I really like what Kevin Kruger's doing, but I was thinking about it ever since I've been watching college basketball. I can't remember a time where both UNLV and St. John's have been consistently good. Do you share that sentiment? Do you are are you like me where you want to see a UNLV and Johnny's team not only just vie for position in the in March Madness, but all but be a lock, right? I mean, I'm looking at UNLV and St. John's. What do you think they have to do to get a foothold in the tournament? Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I've never really heard that comparison, but I feel like it's a good one because it's two really proud programs who have a rich history that just haven't been there the last decade and for as long as I've been covering basketball and covering college basketball, it's those are almost the two teams that you can count on being fine, but not good enough to make the tournament. Right. They, like they, they're not going to bottom out, but they're also not going to win the necessary 20 plus games. And I know St. John's, I think had that first four appearance a few years ago and, and whatnot, but they're not going to be that type of team that is really, the, the one that you fear to go play. And, I, and I'm, I've covered the Mountain West now since, I think, 2015 or so. And every year there's talk about if if UNLV is a top, say, five, six seed in the Mountain West, so a top half team, it, there's always kind of the external, oh, you know, the, the tournament's played in Vegas. Like UNLV is going to have kind of that leg up because they're playing in their home arena. And it's just – it hasn't really been that way. They usually have kind of the noon tip on the Thursday afternoon. It's just 
kind of feels like a bit of a lull. It just hasn't really been there. And I I do think though on on the positive end, I do think that Kevin Kruger, at least for for UNLV's perspective, is a guy who's going to get things turned around. His his dad did a phenomenal job with the program, and I think that he's already figured things out. But I I love when the traditional powers and the the types of programs that have the most fans that have the passion of fan bases are the ones that are good. And I'm I'm an underdog guy at heart. I love the mid majors, but when the good teams are good, like the powerhouses are good, I think it just is so much better for college basketball. And it just it hasn't been the case. And even to take it a step further, at least as far the, as the Mountain West is concerned, prior to this year, that was kind of the same thing with New Mexico. They hadn't, they hadn't been good in a long, long time. And now we see what a sold-out sold out pit looks like in 2023. It's awesome. And, and that's a fan base that gets after it. And I'd love to see that with St. John's and UNLV because I, I think that they're kind of in that same sort of same sort of echelon. So – um, I hope for their sake that they turn around because St. John's could be a really, really fun uh, team again in the Big East if they get it rolling. And uh, whether it's with Mike Anderson or someone else, I, I think it'd be really cool to see. You hit on a lot of great points there, Eli. So first and foremost, with the New Mexico point, uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about what a great job Steve Alford's done. And I feel like a lot of people forgot that he did a tremendous job at New Mexico. I think he was the head coach of Tony Snell, that that roster there. And Honestly, he did a good job at UCLA. It just may not have been up to UCLA standards, but he did a really good job at UCLA. And now we see what he's been doing uh, back in the Mountain West, I guess, there with Nevada. So I'm happy, you know, you mentioned New Mexico back with Richard Pitino and, and we gave flowers to Steve Alford. Another thing that I wanted to mention and that you had brought up, right? You, th- you talk about the the mid-majors and, and the opportunity for there to be uh, great, great environments I always want a great environment and a great team coming out of Las Vegas. I want the Raiders to do well. I want UNLV to do well. And then with the Nets kind of middling, right? The Knicks are the Knicks. That city is is there for the taking potentially uh, for St. John's and, and MSG to go crazy or Karnaseka's house to go crazy, right? So I, I think you also mentioned that these established teams, it's good when they're good. You're a mid-major guy, but we want the power programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I also yearn for that nostalgia, right? I've, I want to, I want to tr- be able to experience what folks were experiencing with the Tarkanian days, Stacey Ogman, Larry Johnson, or like Chris Mullen. So, I mean, you could make a case, right? Like Georgetown, they're terrible now, but at least I got to see how great they were yeah. like with Roy Hibbert and JT three. Like I've seen them be great. Um, I haven't seen that with UNLV St. John's. Yeah, and that's I think everybody who's in college basketball to any extent, whether a casual fan or they're media person, whatever, I think everybody has a little bit of that wanting for nostalgia because so much of college basketball is based off of nostalgia. And I don't think anybody enjoys seeing Georgetown being bad. I don't think anybody enjoys seeing UNLV not making the tournament. It's not it it, it almost feels like it shouldn't be that way. And, and you want them to kind of figure those things out. And it's, it's different with Duke and Kentucky and then they're kind of in their own echelon. And, but as far as kind of those traditional programs that we've seen for years have all this success, you just kind of want them to figure things out because we know, we know what it can be like when it's at its peak. And, and, and you kind of touched on it there as well, as far as Georgetown, I, I saw the tail end of, of JT three and what it was like, in, in those years and they weren't necessarily winning all that many tournament games, but they were winning a lot of 
games in the Big East and, and whatnot. And that was that was really fun to see. But it, it just hasn't been there with some of these programs. And there is there's been a lot of changing of the guard just in college basketball overall the last five to ten years. And whether that's transfer portal related or NIL, it's 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 a different sort of atmosphere these days. And uh, you, I think a lot of college hoops people just kind of hope that there is kind of that hint of nostalgia that we got out of a lot of these programs. Yeah. And it's twofold. I think too, it's, it, I, I promised the folks listening, it is painful despite me just being a slob on the couch, watching these games and an armchair quarterbacking. It's twofold painful uh, to see an iconic program like Georgetown led by an iconic player, yes. Patrick Ewing. I hate having to come on here and talk, talk sideways about Patrick Ewing, but the critique is fair. Even a team like Vanderbilt who is not on Georgetown's level historically, but, Jerry Stackhouse is an all-timer for me. I loved watching him in the pros with the Pistons and the Wizards, and he was awesome at Carolina, but it's just not clicking right there for Vandy as well. So those are some of the other items or the uh, obstacles that you got to clear mentally, I suppose. Hey, Eli, I'm going to ask you one more question before we get to some fun, quick hitters. But if we stay in the Big East, do you see a power emerging in the Big East that can rule this conference with an iron fist for the next three, four years like Villanova did. I mean, when Villanova was rolling and winning national titles, which is just as recent as last year when they went to the final four, other te- they, they would ask other teams like, hey, jump. Other teams ask how high. They would say, I need you to walk on water. Other teams would say, can I do it without getting my socks wet, please, Villanova? Like, they ruled it with an iron fist. Is there another team in the Big East that you see coming out like that? You know, this is this probably wouldn't be among people's first three options given who's at the top of the conference right now. Because as you kind of touched on, it has been a bit of a changing of the guard with the league. But I really feel, and I said this as soon as he was hired, I feel like Shaheen Holloway could not be a better fit with this conference. He could not be a better fit with the program that he led in Seton Hall and this this year might not result in even an NCAA tournament berth. Um, they have been kind of trending in the right direction of late, but I I just think he's going to get this thing figured out. And he's going to he's not going to blow anyone away with getting four star recruits or five star recruits. I don't even think he would even want that to begin with. He's he's just going to have guys like he had with St. Peter's, where it's just it's just the type of players that you want to play. You may have never heard of. Casey and Defo or any of these types of guys who who played or even Doug Edder, like a lot of these guys who nobody really knows who they are, but if they're going to play for Shaheen Holloway, I know that he's not going to have slouches on his team and he's going to have guys who love to rebound, love to get the loose balls, uh, you know, love to play defense. And that I think just over time becomes so infectious. And, and even if my generation or the generation that comes after me doesn't necessarily know Shaheen Holloway as a player I think he's just a really relatable coach and guys love to play for him and we saw that a lot last March with the St. Peter's team I'd I'd be stunned if within four years five years from now that St. that uh, Seton Hall isn't a consistent top 10 top 15 program nationally and is consistently competing for Big East titles it would it would shock me if it's anything otherwise even if this year hasn't necessarily gone the way that I think a lot of Seton Hall fans expected 
Yeah, you nailed it with them trending in the right direction. Yesterday morning, I did tweet the morning of them playing Creighton that they were going to beat Creighton. Unfortunately, Creighton did end up winning by 13. You want to talk about a team trending in the right yeah. direction. That's certainly the Blue Jays. But Seton Hall, I'm very excited for for their future. And uh, obviously, Shaheen Holloway, he's just a lot of fun. He brings juice. So I'll keep an eye out for the Pirates there in the in the coming years. So Eli, what I want to do now just get some free-flowing thoughts, some fun questions, some quick hitters before we uh, let you go. A couple nights ago, LeBron set the all-time record for points, uh, all-time score in the NBA. I don't know what I'm saying here. Uh, monumental moment. Do you have a special moment watching LeBron James? I, I do. I think the, the moment that stands out to me most is – and I, I can't even tell you right now what it is. Um, but I think that the the moment that stands out to me is a game that he had against the Detroit Pistons where he scored, I, I don't remember what it was, like 26 points in a row or something like that in that playoff game. And I think it was Kevin Harlan who said he had no regard for human life. And I just, I remember that and that just stuck with me. And that is just, I, I grew up watching LeBron when he was in a Cavs uniform, and that's just kind of the the era of him that stuck with me the most. And I I think that that was just kind of the moment of just this this is just this is so cool. This is what basketball is about. When one guy is just taking over on the biggest stage, and it's it's just it was such a surreal moment watching that. So I think that um, that's probably the moment that sticks out. Uh, at least with me the most, despite all of the accomplishments that he's had throughout his career. Just a jaw dropping moment. And the evolution of LeBron and, and me watching him has certainly matured, I suppose, right? When he was dro- when he was doing that, and I'm a big Celtics fan. So he was doing that against the Pistons, who by the way were a seasoned grown man team. And you yes. got a twenty two year old LeBron James <laughs> pulling that off. Just remarkable. Um and then he goes to the heat and he tortures the Celtics and you're like, I hate this guy. And you hated him as well when the Celtics were bouncing him out when he was in a Cavs uniform. And then I think for me, once he, once he completed one of the greatest upsets in sports history by beating that stacked warriors team, that is when I was just like, and I was getting to this point, but I was just like, why are there's stop hating on this man. It's such a futile effort. The guy is absolutely incredible. And I thought it was neat a couple nights ago, how all of Twitter was sharing their, their joyous moments watching uh, truly one of the greatest of all time. Um, so you're your age right now. Okay. But we can, tra- we can teleport back to 2002. How do you recruit LeBron James to Washington? Oh my gosh. The 2002 era. Let's see. <laughs> That's that is a hard pull, man. I don't know how anybody <laughs> could manage that. Like he he had his his blue bloods that he would consider, but man, getting him to getting him to a UW program before even Lorenzo Romar had it rolling there, that that'd be a pretty tough sell. I don't know how you'd manage that one. Even All right. even even Lorenzo Romar because he had his recruiting ways, but I don't know if you'd be able to pull that one off at that time. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. I had to ask. Here's here's something that I think you can get your arms around a little bit more. Give me your all time starting five for the Huskies. Oh man, I think it's got to be. I think it's got to be Isaiah Thomas at the point. I'm partial to him, of course. Um, man, I know that I'm going to leave someone out on this. I just know that I'm going to. That's okay um, though. This yeah. it's almost like word association. What's the ones that that really yeah. stand out to you? 
Um, CJ Wilcox, a shooting guard. Love watching him play. Matisse Steibel has to be a small forward. Uh, I, he was, he's probably my favorite UW player that I've, that I've watched. Uh, power forward. Uh, I think you kind of need like a, a stretch guy to some extent. Um, that's, oh, that's hard. Cause it's like mostly big post guys who've played for UW, unless you want to get a di- different type of wing there. Um, I think you probably want to go uh, Jaden McDaniels at the four. I think that'd probably be the right pick. And then uh, underneath, it's hard to go with anybody besides John Brockman, at least with my era. So I, I think that's probably the five that I'd be rolling with. Oh, I, I was just waiting for you to say Brockman because it had to be. It had to be. That guy was a load down there, man. He was. My goodness, did was Aaron Baines on Wazoo during that time too? Uh. I think, have did, yeah, have they ever played against each other? I think so. Yeah, because that was that was the late two thousands era. Yeah, I think that lines up about right. But that like even then, it still it still shocks me that Aaron Baines had the career that he had because I I didn't see it when he was with Wazoo at all. I did. I was I was shocked that this has panned out the way it has. But to his credit, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And John Brockman, I'm glad you I'm glad you dropped that. Um, we're a week away from Valentine's Day here, Eli. Who would be your college basketball Valentine in the media? Man, oh, that's a hard one. Uh, who I can is- rephrase. Yeah. <laughs> who is uh, someone in the college basketball media space, dead or alive, man, woman, that you would want to have a beer with, have a dinner with, talk hoops, talk life, literally anything. Oh man. I think, well, it's, it's gotta be Gus Johnson. Like I've, I grew up watching this guy and he's just got this infectious personality. I know that he would have so many stories to share about whether it's broadcasting life or just, I, he seems like kind of a private person, but I feel like if you had a conversation with him, I'm sure he'd open up and kind of share a lot about what his life has been like and, and the things that he's either endured or enjoyed. And I, I would love to meet Gus Johnson one day. He's, he's always been kind of a hero of mine. So it would have to be him. We've endured some, I'm sure at, at our age, we've endured loss. That's painful. I don't know if there's been a loss more painful than him not calling NCAA tournament games uh, yeah, for CBS, man. It's, just think about all the moments that we have missed out on that. That's still that still bums me out. Like I'm happy for him that it's worked out with his broadcasting career the way it has. But can you imagine some of the games that he he could have called? Even some of the early first round games would have been nuts. St. Peter's, Kentucky. Just he would, he would live for that. That would be. I can't even imagine the lines that he would have for this St. Peter's team going nuts for Shaheen Holloway. It would have been. It would have been fantastic. Absolutely. Last couple ones, Seattle specific. Have you ever been to Biscuit Bitch? I've I've not, but I've heard of it. You've heard of it. Okay, yeah. so my brother-in-law lives in Seattle, actually. <laughs> I love Seattle as a city. Granted, I've only been there during the summer months. That being said, I was curious to get your thoughts on Biscuit Bitch because uh, my brother-in-law and, and that family just love it, and I love it too. Uh, they got an apron, the whole nine, so... I had to get your thoughts if you did. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, I'm dropping the ball on that one. I've heard of it, and I've heard that it's awesome. I've had some people recommend it to me, but I haven't haven't made it over yet. Let's circle all the way back now to Riley's description of you. You're a coffee guy. Mm-hmm. Do you mix and match blends? Do you experiment? Tell us about your favorite coffee, and and does it does it piss you off when people are just like, "Oh, you must be a Starbucks guy." <laughs> 
Are you a little deeper than that? Yes, absolutely. I, I I think that in true in true Pacific Northwest fashion, a lot of people don't a lot of people don't get this. They think Seattle, they think fish, they think Starbucks, and they think rain, and that's and that's all fine. Like I get it. Every city's kind of got its stigma, but the people who really thoroughly enjoy coffee, and I, I don't want to masquerade as something I'm not. I don't know everything there is to know about coffee to any extent. I just enjoy it. Um, but the people who who thoroughly enjoy coffee, they do not like Starbucks. And I, and I'm, I'm kind of almost contradicting myself as a guy who wants to hop on your show and be all about Seattle and Pacific Northwest and everything like that. And then say that I don't like Starbucks, but I'd argue that makes you more Seattle. It, 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 it just might. But I think that I, I've always liked the kind of culture around it. I love going to a new city and finding a coffee shop and, Whatever I mean, it, I, it, the coffee is almost the the less important part of it. It's almost like you get to explore a new place. You get to see whatever the views are like from that. You you get to hear whatever music they're playing or the interesting people that walk in. I think I think that's more so what I gravitate towards rather than just the coffee itself. And yes, it, it there are different things that kind of take me back to different memories or. You know, being in the southeast, and I like how they're. I just was talking with Riley about this the other day. I like how their their roasts almost have a little bit more of a sour kind of kind of punchy sort of taste. And even uh, across the pond, and if you go to like Europe, I think theirs is a little bit more smoother, and ours, I think, in the Seattle area, is a little bit more on the tame side. So I think it just. I think it's bigger than just what the drink is itself. I think it's almost kind of not to get like too philosophical here, but I think it's almost just kind of the the experience behind it. it takes you everyone has that kind of nostalgia and we've talked about this on this show everyone kind of has that nostalgia and i think every time you go to a different coffee shop or go to a place that you used to go as a kid or something like that it just it kind of takes you back to a different place and, and it, you have different memories that i think are really enjoyable along the way you're a true renaissance man college <laughs> hoops college hoops you're in you know marketing coffee look <laughs> if you know i was i was thinking about it if you if you want to be a barista too i think you would excel at that <laughs> i appreciate that it can be fun you never know who you might meet that's right eli i'm going to get you out of here very last segment it's called bring him up on stage riley davis referenced you and we were so happy to get you on this has been an absolute blast who can you recommend that i bug annoy text like i was uh bugging you to get him on and share some stories oh man i think i i, I don't want this to necessarily only be a, a heat check collaboration type deal but i uh i think the guy that you have to come on who i don't think gets enough love in the industry who is an absolute character one of the best dudes i've ever met his name's andy decoff he is our um editor at heat check cbb he covers uh, oregon prep sports uh, it's just a, he's just such an intelligent guy. He's got such a witty sense of humor. Uh, he, he went to a uh, big, big fan of Oregon State, the Beavers, and loves that. And he had some amazing stories from their Elite Eight run just a couple, couple years ago. And he's uh, he's kind of a, a numbers type of nerd like myself, loves diving into the numbers and things like that. But you won't find a more uh, – a, insightful intelligent and just overall kind guy so i think two the two of you guys would absolutely strike up a fun conversation about all the different types of types of things that you may stumble upon in this industry and and everything along the way so i think i think you definitely have to hit up andy and, and say hello to him 
I'll be sure to do that. Andy Decoff, we'll talk Tinkle. That's what we yeah, can do. That'll absolutely. be the answer. <laughs> You'd enjoy it. Eli Becker, thank you so much for jumping on, sharing such brilliant stories. Uh, and I hope to keep in touch with you. Enjoy the rest of the season, man. All right. Thank you again. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. This was a really good time as, uh, as Riley uh, passed on to me. So I appreciate you having, having me on. It's a really good, really good experience. All right. Want to thank Eli Becker again for jumping onto the program. A lot of fun with him, and we truly appreciate the time that he spent. A lot of great stories. I, I think the my favorite part of the interview was his description on why he got into college basketball. You don't even have to peel back the layers that much. It was clearly just a story of spending time with his father, and I thought that was really, really neat. So, Eli, thank you again for coming on and sharing your stories. Hopefully we can get Andy to jump on and uh, spill a little bit as well. Let's go ahead, get on out of here on a good thing. Mine is Tulane. Tulane in second place in the uh, American behind only Houston, who's one of the best teams in the entire country. Now they got smacked by Houston in New Orleans. They unfortunately do still have to travel to Houston and they're probably going to lose that game. But Ron Hunter has done an awesome job with the green wave. And we all remember Ron Hunter falling from his chair when his son, RJ Hunter hit a three for Georgia state over Baylor. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping somehow, some way we get to see Ron Hunter back in the big dance because he's a great character and he's a lot of fun. I don't know if we'll see it this year, unfortunately, but too late. Great job there. Great job from Ron Hunter. And honestly, great job for uh, the Tulane Athletic Program. They won the Cotton Bowl, beat USC in football, and now they've got a, a winner and a team in basketball that they can be very proud of. We're going to get on out of here for the week. want to thank Eli Becker one more time for jumping on and being so gracious with his time. And we want to thank you for listening to Theater in College Hoops. Enjoy the rest of the week and we'll catch you next time.